Hey, coming up, everybody, I'm sure you're very aware and excited for the three-day weekend this uh, that's coming up. But let's go beyond a day off work, right? I talk with a good friend who knows firsthand what Memorial Day is all about. That's next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. After 33 years, an arrest has finally been made in the missing child case of Eton Pates, the first missing child to have his face on a milk carton. Police say Pedro Hernandez implicated himself in the death of Aton Pates, who disappeared on May 25, 1979. However, they are still investigating his story. Mayor Michael Bloomberg says he hopes this brings the case a step closer to being solved. This was a tragedy that broke the hearts of millions of people, especially parents across this nation. According to law enforcement, Hernandez lived and worked in a bodega near the Pates' Soho apartment, but after the boy's disappearance, moved to New Jersey. I just can't speculate on anybody's motives or or anything else. Hernandez had been tied to the case in the past. Julie Walker, New York. The State Department has found a new venue to combat al-Qaeda. But instead of risking lives, this fight is all on computers. When experts based at the State Department saw al-Qaeda ads on Yemeni websites bragging about killing Americans. We did our own counter spoof of that. Spokeswoman Victoria Newland says they plastered the same sites with altered versions, showing the impact of al-Qaeda attacks on Yemenis themselves. It's part of a program aimed at using the Internet and social media to hurt the network's recruiting. We don't hack. Newland says the U.S. buys the ad space and clearly identifies itself. Sagar Megani at the Pentagon. The relationship between Israel and China is improving. The improved relations between Israel and China have a military flavor. Huge China and tiny Israel have a history of military cooperation. Well, they did before the U.S. put a wrench in the spokes a decade ago, scuttling arms deals to protect Taiwan. Now things seem to be loosening up again. Military and political leaders are trading visits. All they'll say about the new deals is they involve technical expertise. Israel is hoping China will dial back its support of Iran as well. Mark Levy, Cairo. Food stamp fraud is the target of new government actions trying to cut down on losses. Here's the problem, say the feds. Food stamp recipients are ripping off the government for millions of dollars by illegally selling their benefit cards for cash, sometimes even in the open on eBay or Craigslist, and then asking the government for replacement cards. The Agriculture Department wants to curb the practice by giving states more power to investigate people who repeatedly claim to lose their benefit cards. It's proposing new rules that would let states demand formal explanations from people who seek replacement cards more than three times a year. Sandy Kozell, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Neil Diamond coming to America. We are going to be celebrating Memorial Day and uh, trying to give you maybe a taste, a spirit 
of what Memorial Day really should be. We're dedicating the entire show to really one interview, an interview of a good friend of mine. I learned about what Memorial Day really is as a little boy scout in a troop with a, with a man named Terry Herschel, who is a Vietnam vet. And I remember vividly sitting in the mountains of Utah with this man telling all of these stories about how, uh, what it's like to be a medic in Vietnam and the many, many things that go on in a war zone. It created a spirit that I'll never forget. And so throughout today's entire show, we are going to be listening to T. Herschel as he talks about, you know, his great memories, his great ideas. Now, again, this weekend is about memorializing, right? The people we loved, those who have died in battle, those who have just died that we care about. If there's anyone who knows it, I promise you firsthand it's going to be my friend Terry Herschel. He served as a medic in Vietnam and unfortunately all too often was the last person to look into the eyes of critically injured soldiers as they left this life. In honor of the Memorial Day that's coming up, he sat down to talk with me. So um, I I grew up in in a patriotic home. My dad didn't serve because his age was between things. He was too young for World War II and too old for Korea. Mm. So we didn't ever serve in the military, but like the 4th of July was the biggest holiday for us. We celebrated that in a big way, and he taught us to respect the flag and love our country, and so that's the way I was reared. I got into high school, and by then we were were full bore in Vietnam. Uh, November 1965, I, I think I've got my dates right. November 65, President Johnson sent the 1st Infantry Division on a, on a huge ship, sent him into uh, into probably Cameron Bay, mm. and that was the first official um, combat unit that was in Vietnam. Prior to that, we were you know advisors, or whatever that right. meant, visitors. And and it, it's it's interesting to me that that first unit was the first infantry division because that's the unit I ended up being assigned to when I got there. So this was in the end of '65, and six or seven months later, in June of '66, I graduated from high school. I immediately enrolled at the University of Utah. And back then, this, this was before the lottery. Hmm. So the law was you registered for the draft at 18, and when you were 19, you got drafted. It wasn't a matter of, you know, my 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 number was drawn way into the series, so I'm safe. Yeah. When you were 19, you got your letter. However, you could get a deferment for a lot of things. If you were 4F and physically unfit, you, you didn't have to go. Uh, if you were... 1S, which I think meant you were 18 years old and you'd registered, but you were still in high school, so you were safe then. Or if you were a sole surviving son or you had a job that was critical to the community, those were all things for which you could get a deferment. One of the deferments, called a 2S deferment, was you were enrolled in a college program and you had a, a specific number of hours and you had good grades. And I, I had that. I had really good grades. You were shooting for that. Yeah. <laughs> but I had these really good grades. And I, I think I could have set out the war. I think I probably could have done just fine, just keep registering and get my education and be safe. Oh, wow. But my heart wouldn't let me do that. Interesting. I had a bunch of friends that I graduated with that had, had listed right after, right out of high school, guys that I'd, you know, I'd known since the fourth grade. And we had this little newsletter that came out in our community every week that talked about, had pictures of all these guys that were serving that had been either wounded or killed. So I, I'm seeing pictures of my friends that lost an arm or lost a leg or too often lost their lives because they were over there fighting for my freedom, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And after my first year, I finished my freshman year, and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. So before it came time to sign up for my sophomore year, I went down and visited with the recruiter, and oh, I got wow. him to make me two promises. He promised me that I could be trained as a medical corpsman, and he promised me that I could go to Vietnam. 
So I signed up, and in uh, September of 67, I went to Fort Lewis, Washington for my basic training, and uh-huh. then after that, down to Fort Sam Houston, Texas for medical training. And in February of 68, I think the specific day was the 25th, I landed. We were on a World Airways jet out of Oakland, California, and we landed at Quinone Airfield in <laughs> Vietnam. It was right in the middle of the Tet Offensive. Oh, my word. Which was the biggest offensive yeah. of the war. They were celebrating the Chinese New Year or something like that. And the buildup was huge and more casualties than at any other time in the war. That's when we landed, and we actually took fire as we were, <laughs> we were getting off the jet. Welcome, welcome. to Vietnam. So, that, yeah, that was my welcome. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for one of those Hawaii lays. And the yeah, kids, you didn't the get a Hawaii lay. But I, I didn't get any of that. So I, I got my assignment, ended up with the 1st Infantry Division, 1st Battalion, 26th Infantry, Bravo Company, November Platoon, and uh, I was ready to go. Hmm. So I, I I got my first Eagle flight. I, I went in, and, and I was given all of my equipment, a bag to carry stuff in, and I filled it up with bandages and salt tablets and antibiotics and morphine and, and uh, hemostats and sc- scalpels, all the stuff I might need as I got out there and had to take patch people up and take care of their lives. Got my M16, which I didn't keep for very long. <laughs> but I went out with the rest of my troop for an Eagle flight. Now, what an Eagle flight is w- was the means of transportation to get us from one place to another in the jungle. And basically what it was is we'd go out to a, a bunch of cement pads. As I recall, there were six or eight of them. And we'd stand on one of those landing pads, and helicopters would come in. You could look up in the sky, and you'd hear the, you know, the beep, beep, beep yeah. of the rotors, see these helicopters coming in, and a Huey would come down and hover about a foot off the ground, and four or five of us would jump in it. It would take off, and then the next one would come in, and four wow. or five people would jump in it. And that's how we got to where we were going. I was on this, this Huey with four other guys, five of us, plus the pilot, the crew chief, and the door gunner. So there were, what, eight of us on there. And I didn't know where we were going. I was, you know... I was high new. enough to have a need to know. <laughs> a greenie. Yeah, I was. <laughs> even after I wasn't green, I still didn't. Right. Was important enough to know. What I did know was that it would take us about half an hour to get to wherever we were going, and I knew that it was a hot LZ. Now LZ means landing zone, and hot means there's combat going on there. That's the reason we we're going out was to reinforce the troops that were in the middle of a firefight. So ah. the the likelihood, the probability was like near one. Then when we got at the other end, people were going to be shooting at us. Were you terrified? Or at what? first, I was. Uh, I was terrified. I was. I was shaking. I could, you know, I'm remembering it still, and I could barely hold still in my seat. I just wanted to get oh, out. Oh my word! Uh, I was. I was 19 years old. First yeah. time I'd ever been away from home, and, uh, and and I remembered what we were taught in in our basic training. Now I don't know if it was true because these drill instructors would tell us all kinds of stuff to motivate <laughs> us. Yeah. But I remember one drill instructor when we were in our jungle training after I finished my Fort Sam Houston medical stuff, he said, if you're going into a hot LZ, you got an 80% mortality statistic. 80% of you are going to be dead. Again, I don't know if that was true or not. Oh my word. But I can tell you I believed it. Yeah, for sure. And I was looking at these other four guys. There were five of us that were going to get off at the other end. And you know, I hadn't known them for a long time. A couple of them a day or two. A few of me went through training together, so I'd known them for six months. But there's something about the war that causes these instant friendships. And I, I really cared for these guys. And I sat there thinking, in, in half an hour, these four friends of mine are going to be dead. Wow. And then I had this thought that kind of reached down and grabbed my heart and stood me up. You know, maybe it'll be me. And that's when I really started to to be terrified, I guess. Yeah. And I started to think about my life. You know, you hear about your life flashing. Yeah. 
it did. I remember it all the way back. And 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 I, what I really remembered that surprised me was I had taken in school. I had taken a lot of religious training, seminary we called it, and I'd learned a lot of scriptures. And the way I remembered that experience was I'd read the scripture because I had to, and I'd pass the test, and then I'd forget about it. Well, suddenly I was remembering all these scriptures. Oh wow! And one of them that came to me was in Matthew, I think the tenth chapter, and it, it talks about don't fear who can destroy the body. Be afraid of he who can destroy the body and soul in hell. And once I thought about that, it it was like this peace came over me. And and I I, I was no longer, it wasn't like I didn't think I was going to die. It was like it didn't matter. I knew that I was there for a good purpose. I was doing the right thing. And I I realized that I tried my whole life to live the way I should have, and I was more successful than less successful. And I just wasn't worried anymore. So we got to the other end, and the helicopters went down to ground level, two or three feet off the ground. And the idea was you stand up in a doorway, and you jump out, and then the next guy jumps out. And as soon as the helicopter's empty, it takes off. Well, I, st- I was the second one standing in a doorway, and the guy in front of me was this huge guy, six foot four and like four feet across. And <clears throat> as soon as he stood up, he took a, a round in his forehead oh. and fell forward. And I just reflexively grabbed him, and the weight of his body pulled us both out of the helicopter. And the chopper lurched up a few feet, and it was hit by an incendiary round, and it exploded. Oh, my word. And everybody died. And I realized in in that second that I was the statistic. I was the 20%. You made the first round. The rest of them were gone, and and I was there. So that was my introduction to Vietnam, and over the next 18 months, that experience with variations here and there was repeated over and over. That uh, is my good friend T. Herschel, Lessons from a Soldier in Vietnam. And uh, we're, we're going through these lessons in order to share with you a little bit of the spirit of Memorial Day and why we need to be grateful for what we have. We'll be back on the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. As the world population increases, so will energy demands. But what if, instead of harnessing coal and oil for energy, we harnessed the population itself? This is Innovation Now. Just about everything we do generates power, whether it's a simple breath, a cough, or even a footstep. But what if there were a way to harness that power and use it to produce energy? That's just what researchers at Princeton University are doing. They created a power-generating device by embedding piezoelectric crystals into a flexible, biocompatible, rubber-like material. When the material bends, it produces energy. The material could be put into shoes to produce enough power to charge personal electronic devices, or maybe even power internal medical devices, like pacemakers. Elsewhere, researchers have created a pair of rubber boots that can convert heat into a current. And engineers in Paris have successfully captured the heat generated by bodies in a subway station and used it to heat a public housing project. Perhaps if everybody were doing the locomotion, the world would be a more energy efficient place. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. 
Did you know BYU has its own record label? It's called Tantara Records, and it's captured some pretty fabulous contemporary music from both on and off the BYU campus. I'm Ron Simpson, your host for the Tantara Hour. Join me as we track through some of this great music. You'll meet some of the artists and the songwriters, and we'll also have exclusive interviews and behind-the-scenes anecdotes. It's all on the Tantara Hour here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, and today we are going, we're preparing for Memorial Day, and we want to get everybody kind of in the right frame of mind to know how to, to really have a spirit of gratitude and uh, to maybe have our minds focused on the memories of those that have uh, passed on, those that have gone before us. So we're dedicating the whole show to Memorial Day. And, um, you know, it's it's easy to forget what the holiday is really about, right? Sometimes the three days seems really what the goal really is. But let's take a deeper look and and, and really look into Memorial Day. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. John McRae, 1915 Memorial Day was first observed on May 30, 1868, when flowers were placed on the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers at Arlington National Cemetery. By 1890, the holiday was recognized by all of the northern states. The South refused to acknowledge the day, honoring their dead on separate days until after World War I, when the holiday changed from honoring just those who died fighting in the Civil War to honoring all Americans who died fighting in any war. Around the time of World War I, inspired by the poem In Flanders Fields, a professor from Georgia penned the following response. We cherish, too, the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies. Moina Michael, 1915. She then conceived of an idea to wear red poppies on Memorial Day in honor of those who died serving the nation during war. She was the first to wear one and sold poppies to her friends and co-workers, with the money going to benefit servicemen in need. Though today there are some who still wear the red poppy on Memorial Day, traditional observance of the day has diminished over the years. Many Americans have forgotten the meaning of Memorial Day, All they think about is that it's a three-day weekend. It might as well be called Barbecue Day or Take the Boat Out on the Lake Day. Though the holiday was originally intended to honor fallen veterans, it's an important opportunity for all of us to take time to remember our loved ones who have passed on and to leave a legacy of respect for those who come after us. So as we 
as we uh, go a little deeper into the Memorial Day uh, preparation that this that we're trying to offer on this show. Before the break, I was talking to my friend T. Herschel, who served in Vietnam, and again, he was a medic, so he he had the chance, sadly, to look into the eyes of a lot of people who had passed away on the battlefield because of their uh, injuries. And when we left off, he was sharing the most difficult type of story for any vet to share. Now, I had an M16 when I first got there. And after about a week, I think, I, I killed somebody. And I, I still, I remember it. I remember it in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I was behind him and I shot off. I saw the back of his head come off. And he was a kid, mm-hmm. a little boy, you know, maybe 15. And he, I knew he's got a mom and dad at home and, and brothers and sisters that look up to him and they'll never see him again. And it's because of me. And it, it, it tore me to pieces. I, I'm still emotional 44 years later. So uh, I, I got rid of my M16 because medics didn't have to carry them. And that allowed me to carry twice as much in terms of medical yeah. stuff. So for the rest of the time, I did what you just said. I, I, I hang, hang out with the boys. I didn't need a gun because they protected me. Yeah. And when somebody was wounded, I'd stop and I'd patch them up and call in the dust-off helicopters to take them back to the hospital and move on to the next one. Oh, my word. Well, and what a move to give up your gun. I mean, I guess it it was for you, wasn't it? It's just easier. To, it might be easier to die than uh, to have I to had, take another one. I had no trouble at all giving up that weapon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I bet it was just peace. And, I, and, and I'll tell you, I, when I took that life, it, it happened, that happened twice. The, the second time was, was with a knife, but I'll, I'll probably talk about that because it had an impact on, on my life and the way I thought. But when I took that life... The feelings that I had were overwhelming, and and I couldn't believe that I I did that. I didn't feel guilty because of the circumstances, but I was appalled at what human beings do to each other. And what really bothered me even more than that was the dehumanizing effect that the war had on so many people, friends of mine that were great guys in every respect, except that killing didn't bother them. As a matter of fact, they were proud of it. They keep a body count, and they'd make little marks on the stock of their of their weapons to keep track of how many people they kill. And I, I, I could not. I still can't fathom. Yeah, that. what is that? You know, well, I can't even shoot a deer anymore. So because we have, we're sending all these men into war and women into war, and we don't we don't quite think of that, do we? We don't. We don't. And you know what? So many people think of is they're the enemy, and and they're right. You know, yeah, they're the enemy. But why are they there? They're there for the same reason I was. They believe in a cause. They believe in their country. They have family. They love people. Yeah. They love their kids. They love their parents. They want to try and protect them. Mm-hmm. Whether or not their cause is right, that's for the right. other people to argue about. But he's just like me. And yeah. yeah, it was either him or me, But and I'm, and I'm glad it ended up to be him. But another part of me is very, very sad. Now, there's a cost, isn't there? There's a very, a very profound cost. And it doesn't go away. That's, what, that's true. That's what we're seeing is... As they're all coming back with PTSD and yeah, that's right. post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, it's it's you made it through. I mean, that, that, there's day one, and then you gave your gun up. How soon? A week later? About a week later, you're yeah. giving your gun up. Yeah. So within a week, you're already having to take a life. That's right. And about three days after that, I received my first wound. Oh, my word. And right. this was a really interesting one because I don't know if it was a bullet or, or a piece of shrapnel because we never found it. But it came in the front of my helmet. And it came on an angle, so it was deflected. And, and th- this was just a remarkable thing. It's impossible for this to have happened, but it did. It it penetrated my skin, but it didn't penetrate the skull. 
and it was deflected and went all the way around the left side of my head and oh, came out the back and came up through the helmet. So if you took the helmet, you saw a hole in the front and a hole in the back. Holy cow. So, you, thought, so oh. you should have had a, a so, Man, this guy, this guy bought the farm, but the fact was I didn't even take out a lease on the farm. I, I had a terrible migraine for a few I days and some bleeding that I treated myself. And on the left side of my head, my hair all fell out, and it took you know a few weeks for it to grow back. But that was it. I mean, wow. <laughs> so that was the first wound that I received. So you're and and that was three days in. It, it was about eight, eight days in. Eight it was days three in. days after after that I turned in my weapon. Oh my word! Yeah, incredible. Um. So then it was a, uh, the, the second time I was wounded, and this was this was a long time later. I, maybe it was the last time I was wounded. I was wounded three times. This was probably the third time because it was months, months later. Um, I was, we were in a firefight, and I stopped and was kneeling down taking care of our wounded. And it, this, it wasn't like the movies you see of World War II where there's a definite front. We were in the jungle. Yeah, you were you know, everywhere. And I might be here, and there's some enemy over there, and on the other side of them is some more of our guys. We're just all mixing it up together. So I was on my knees treating this wounded GI, and I, I heard the bush crack behind me, and I turned around, and I saw a VC, a Viet Cong. And he had his rifle, and he was running at me. It turned out the rifle was a little sawed-off 410-gauge shotgun. Oh, my word. And I grabbed the barrel of it to pull it away from him. And I, in the process of doing that, I pulled the barrel down into my thigh, and it went off. I got a big hole about the size of a quarter <laughs> in my left thigh. And it, it, but it didn't hit any blood vessels, and it didn't hit any bones. And I still have all of the, all of the, uh, all of the, or the shot, shot. birdshot in there. And every time I have my knees x-rayed, you know. They're like, look at your leg. I have to explain what happened. <laughs> Holy cow. So anyway, I threw the weapon away, and he came at me with a knife. And it was it was a long knife. I wrestled it away, and I— I mean, you're a big—you're not big, but I, you're bigger than a I was a, a lot Viet Cong. Bigger than, a lot bigger than a Viet Cong, and he was, again, was a, was a young boy. Oh, man. I wrestled the knife away, and I, I pinned him to the ground through his throat, and in the process it— severed his jugular vein and his carotid artery. And I think it may have nicked his spinal cord too, but that didn't matter because with both of those blood vessels in, he was uh, in, in moments, he exsanguinated and was gone. And, and and again, I had the same thoughts. Wow. You know, I, I thought about his mom and dad at home and they're never going to see him again. Yeah. It, it, that part of Vietnam was just a killer for me. I'm glad I only had to experience that twice. We're talking to... Uh playing um, an interview I did with a friend of mine, Terry Herschel, who was a medic during the Vietnam War and um, just kind of getting us ready for Memorial Day. And remember that Memorial Day is not just for those, you know, from our country, right? We all have somebody to mourn and uh, we're all part of this great big family we call just the... uh, I guess, really, just brothers and sisters here on this big floating ball of mud, right? You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Let's dance, Myrtle. Harold, after 52 years of marriage, you know I don't like to dance. Well, I guess after all these years, you should know I don't like it either. You don't? No. No, I just like holding your hand. Well, then, let's dance. Marriage. You're never too far apart when you're still holding hands. From The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For tips on strengthening your marriage, visit family.mormon.org. It goes something like this. Uh... 
Hey there, it's the morning show. Break a leg now. It's the morning show. Come along, everybody. It's the morning show. On your mark, get set, go. The morning show with Marcus Smith, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A British auction house has called off an auction of a vial containing the late President Reagan's dried blood. The seller had got to the vial legally at a U.S. auction earlier this year, but had then decided against proceeding with the actual auction. It will instead be donated to the late president's foundation for display. The decision not to sell the controversial item, linked to the 1981 assassination attempt on the late president, was praised by the Reagan Presidential Foundation in California. An official there says he's pleased the late president's blood will be kept out of public hands. Online bidding on the vial had reached about $30,000 when the sale was suspended. Charles Desmond, London. The Obama administration is likely to move forward with plans to help arm Syrian rebels. The plan is not yet finalized, but officials in a position to know say essentially America would give its nod to efforts by Arab allies to transfer arms and ammunition to Syrian opposition groups and fighters deemed suitable. There'd be a screening process to ensure nothing goes to terrorists or groups that target Israel. The impending move comes as former UN chief Kofi Annan's peace plan has failed to halt the violence in Syria. And as the attempt by President Bashar al-Assad to crush the pro-democracy opposition has increasingly turned into a bloody stalemate. Mark Smith at the White House. Though no resolutions have been made, yet talks between world leaders and Iran about the country's nuclear program will continue in Moscow. The latest round in Baghdad has just broken up without agreement. But White House Press Secretary Jay Carney says Iran approached the talks seriously and the fact they'll continue in Russia is positive. Plus, he says nobody expected any breakthroughs this early in the process. However, Israeli officials have sharply criticized these talks as an Iranian effort to buy time while the regime makes progress toward a nuclear bomb. And even Carney's telling reporters Tehran needs to take concrete steps quickly to assure the world the bomb is not what its program is headed for. Mark Smith at the White House. The first quarter of 2012 was a strong one for the U.S. banking industry. The financial health of the banking industry continues to improve. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation says the industry earned more than $35 billion in the first quarter, up about 25 percent from a year ago, and the highest the earnings have been in almost five years. This is FDIC Acting Chairman Howard Grunberg. Insured institutions have made steady progress in shedding bad loans. But there were also some negatives. Total loan balances fell for credit cards, home mortgages, and other loans after three quarters of growth last year. Jerry Bodlander, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're trying to get you in the mood for Memorial Day, like you need that, right? We're also trying to move it away from just being one other three-day holiday weekend, turn it into something that might matter more to you, and maybe get you connected to those, really, that have given their lives for this great country and those that have just 
you know, benefited from the lives of the people that have gone before us. We all have family and friends. We're probably going to all end up being at the cemeteries this uh, coming up weekend, laying flowers down and um, sharing our memories. We just want to make sure you really, really appreciate your life and um, and those that have gone before. So we have been all this hour so far um, sharing a conversation with a good friend of mine, Terry Herschel, who uh, was a medic during the Vietnam War, uh, has a lot of awards and medals, and he really, truly understands this holiday more than just about anyone I know. I had a friend by the name of David Palou. I think he was from New York. I can't remember, but he had gone on R&R to Hawaii, and he'd met his wife there. I mean, she met him there. It wasn't like that. Yeah. He, she was already his wife, and they met in Hawaii. And he was there for a week, and then he, he came back and was telling me all about it, how wonderful it was, and he was really a good guy. I liked him a lot. The next morning, we got up, and I don't know why I started to – I mean, I do know why, but at the moment, I didn't know why I started to think this. When I was in my medical training, we were taught about a procedure that's called a cricothyroidotomy. Now, what that is is on your Adam's apple, you can feel – there are two cartilages. One's a cricoid, and the other's the thyroid cartilage, and you can feel a little indentation. Can you feel that? Yeah. Well, in that indentation, there's a little thin membrane, and if that membrane weren't there, you go right into the trachea. And we were given like a 20-minute lecture on how if you have to, you can open that up and you can get air in, into the lungs. We obviously didn't have a chance to test the yeah. practice on anybody. We, we didn't really see it demonstrated. We just explained it. So this was months before. So I got up in the morning, and I started thinking about that, remembering the process, going over in my mind that I, I felt for the little indentation on my throat and Went around and fell on everybody else's. They thought I was weird. They thought, you know, Doc must have been out smoking some of that <laughs> stuff that grows wild around here. But I, I just going over it in my mind, and I really didn't know why. Well, later that day, several hours later, we stopped for the night. And every time we did that, somebody did what's called a cloverleaf. And, and what that is is you go out and you, you make these little loops, four of them in the shape of a four-leaf clover. That's why it's called a clover. Right. And the purpose is to just do reconnaissance and make sure that there isn't anybody out there, that it's a safe place for us to stop. So we had a, a machine gun set up, a 60-millimeter machine gun, and David Palou took a squad of two people, and he went out on this clover leaf. Well, he made a cardinal mistake you never should make. On his way back in on the first loop, he forgot to radio that he was coming back. Oh, no. Everybody was nervous and edgy because we'd had contact twice that day already. So everybody, we're all on edge. And as he started back in, without radioing his position, the machine gunner opened up and shot all three of them. So by the time I got there, two of them were dead, but Dave was still alive. And but he wasn't breathing. So I tried to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and blood was just bubbling out of his mouth. His throat was full of it. So I took my ballpoint pen and handed it to one of the other guys, and I said, "Take that apart for me." While he was doing that, I I took my knife and put a hole in that membrane, and then I stuck the tube down there, and I was able to blow air into his lungs. And after, I don't know, 30 seconds of that, he started to breathe on his own. He coughed the blood out, and it, wow. it saved his life for a while. Yeah. We called in the, the dust-off helicopters, and they took him to the hospital, uh, but took him into the operating room, and he, he didn't survive the operation. Oh. Um, but, but I got thinking, Promptings. why did I remember that? What did I think about that? And, and it, work it through and it, start practicing yeah, it. It didn't take very, very long to realize that that was one of the promptings, and it was a reason why I was reminded to do that. May, I kept telling myself maybe if I'd gotten to him just a little bit earlier, I could have saved him. You know, And after a while, uh, I realized that that was a stupid exercise. I, yeah. I think about that. but Just do what you can. Another time, another prompting I had, and this is my favorite story. 
about Vietnam, at least the first part of it. It's a, it's a very bittersweet experience, and you'll you'll see why I say that in a minute. For almost the entire period that I was in Vietnam, um, I was the only one who had the particular religious beliefs that I had. There were others who had religious beliefs. Most of them claimed that they didn't even believe in God, mm. although I can honestly say that in the final moments when people were faced with leaving this earth, yeah. I never saw anybody who didn't get to that point without a prayer on their lips, despite you know, yeah. their claiming that they didn't believe in God. But anyway, um, I, I'm LDS, and and I during that period of time, there were no other LDS people there. I could never go to church because we were always out in the jungle. Mm. I did have a small set of scriptures that my that I'd been given when I when I left the to go in the army, and I kept that with me, and I read it whenever I had an opportunity, but, you know, that was about it. About 10 or 12 months, maybe a little longer than that, into my service, a guy named Stephen Crowley, I think his name was Leland, but his middle name was Stephen, we called him Steve, he was from Ogden. He showed up and joined our unit, and I was delighted, especially when I found out not only was he from Ogden, but he was also LDS, and we became friends immediately, really Great. close friends. He spent as much time as we could talking and told me about his his wife, his uh, childhood sweetheart, who he'd married just before he came. And uh, we really got to be good friends. Well, one Sunday morning, we got up and it was it was a really beautiful morning. We'd had enemy combat almost every day that week. But the intelligence that we were getting on the radio was that they didn't know of anybody in the area. So we'd probably have a quiet day. Beautiful day, and we decided, you know, this is Sunday. Let's go have a worship service. Oh, neat. Neither of us have been able to do that yeah. for months. So we separated ourselves a little bit from the rest of the group. We could still see them. They could still see us, but we were far enough away to have a little privacy. We found a rock that was kind of flat on the top, and we decided we would we would have the ordinance that we call a sacrament. We decided we'd do that. Before we got started, um, Stephen said he had a transistor radio, and he said, you know, on, sometimes on Sundays they play organ music on AFVN, the Armed Forces of Vietnam Network. Oh, wow. So I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's get some cool. music, if can, too. If we can do the sacrament and listen to the organ, that'd be great. So we tuned it in, and I was astonished. It's 44 years later, and I find myself getting emotional about this when I talk about it, too, because I heard a voice that I recognized, and I heard gently raise a sacred strain. Oh, wow. And it was the choir. It was Music and the Spoken Word. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir on Music and the Spoken yeah, Word. Yeah, Richard L. Evans was talking. It, it in was, the middle of Vietnam. It was unbelievable. During your sacrament. So for 30 minutes, we listened to that. And we, we, we didn't have any bread, but we did have crackers that they had in the sea rations cans. So we broke these crackers up, and we poured stale water out of our canteens. We blessed it, and we, we had the sacrament with each other. Beautiful. Years later... I became director of purchasing for the LDS Church, and in that capacity, I traveled all over the place. So I went to worship services in really beautiful buildings all over the United States. Um, I went to worship services in Tonga and Fiji and Samoa and South America and Mexico and Canada, all over the place. I even one time had an opportunity. I was serving as a member of a bishopric, and we were invited to the temple to the fourth floor to what's called a solemn assembly, and in that meeting, we were served the sacrament by... The leadership. The leaders of the, the church. The Quorum of the Twelve, which is a great experience. But I, I got to tell you, none of those experiences were more meaningful and more spiritual and more memorable than when I ate a stale cracker and some canteen water with my friend 
in Vietnam. On a rock in Vietnam. I'll, I will never forget that experience. It's almost like a tender mercy, isn't it? God exactly, is exactly. extending a tender mercy to Exactly. You. And maybe there was a reason that we were prompted to do it then. Because that's the sweet part of it. The bitter part of it is two hours later, Stephen was killed. Ah. Um, he, was a, he was a brave guy. <clears throat> and he usually, when we... When we uh, when we walked out in file, he usually walked point, which means the first guy. Yeah, and that's a real dangerous position to be in. But he did that rather than having other people do it, and he walked out of a clearing and he was he was killed. Taken. Uh, uh. it was really hard to lose my friend. Ah, uh. you're listening to Terry Herschel, good friend of mine. Uh, just sharing a story about Vietnam and the uh, the incredible experiences he had with his friends there. He talked about um, there just some promptings. It's interesting how close he really, I guess that's just part of what happens when you're living so close to death. You tend to get uh, a better sense of maybe who you are, maybe a better sense of um, promptings, the spirit. He brought that up a lot. It's also interesting. That was just such a moving story. And as I was listening to T tell the story, it's uh, it's just powerful to see how how much true gratitude he had in his heart for these opportunities. Um, and so as we're sitting here preparing for Memorial Day, I hope you're feeling something. I hope you're feeling a need to maybe think about the people that matter most to you. Think about uh, how grateful you are for your life, for the great things that you've been blessed with. If if there's anything we could do this weekend, maybe it's great that we get to go out and be with the family and have some more time. I'm sure you'll mow your lawn and take care of a bunch of different errands and things. But we also probably need to make sure we, we tune in. One of the benefits, apparently, um, it's interesting, as, as T was talking, is just how much we end up taking for granted. Something as simple as a simple church service. Uh, can change the life of a soldier, as it did for T. It also is interesting to see the tender mercies, as as we were talking about, that maybe there are a lot of things that are going right in your life, and as you're sitting here struggling, um, maybe one of the things we could do this week or the, during this weekend is is start making a list, a little bit of a gratitude journal of of the things you are grateful for, the things that uh, that you maybe take for granted, the things that you really want to. Um, to start to to be more appreciative of. I'm a big believer that the more we appreciate the things in our life, even more so the blessings we're going to receive. And so powerful, powerful stuff. And again, interestingly, uh, I've heard these stories before. I heard them as a young boy, as a scout. And uh, I remember feeling the exact same kind of peace, the, the exact same spirit of a guy that was literally going through torture um, and, and there's a lot of stories that, that Terry uh, couldn't even share with us um, just because they brought back too many personal feelings. This was a hard interview for him. I mean, imagine sharing the story just of this good friend of yours you spend a moment with and then he's just tragically shot and you lose him. And, and he tells him and if you listen, it seems so matter of fact. But um, part of it was I think it's just he's mourned it. He's, he's shared it. And um, we want to to let you hear it so you could be impacted by it as well. Again, we don't want to make you feel anything other than just grateful. Grateful for those that have gone before. Grateful for the fact that we have people out there fighting for us today. 
And uh, we probably want to make sure we remember all of them this Memorial Day. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. An advanced plastic developed for airplanes touches hearts around the world. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. When scientists at NASA set out to invent a tough and lightweight plastic for airplanes, they never thought it might also improve lives on the ground. Larkasi is an extremely flexible resin that is resistant to chemicals and can withstand the extreme temperatures demanded of aerospace technology. The unique thermoplastic is also biologically inert. That means the human body doesn't reject it as foreign material. Medical technology firm Medtronic recognized the plastic's benefits for their CRT, or cardiac resynchronization therapy device, for patients with heart failure. The stopwatch-sized device is implanted in the chest to improve the heart's efficiency and increase blood flow to the body. The resin is now used to insulate the device's lead wire, which delivers electrical energy to the heart muscle. Due to the unique characteristics of the insulation material, the lead is one of the thinnest on the market. That narrow design allows surgeons to choose between different sites on the heart to deliver optimal therapy. For Innovation Now, I'm Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Wow, that's a lot of books. <laughs> Little one at home. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. Childproofing your home, childproofing your yard, childproofing your in-laws' home and yard. Of all the things you can read to keep your child safe, the most important is attached to their car seat. Read the instruction manual and use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Learn more at safercar.gov. Anchor, tether, latch. The next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ag Council. As to answer your question, we actually have an architect, a native in Madagascar with 20 years of experience, who has worked in affordable housing for the government. How do you run across someone like that? Uh, you know, I, I would say lots of divine help. Um, divine help, that's a nice cop-out. <laughs> I, I want you to answer my question. <laughs> the Morning Show with Marcus Smith, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Our final segment, we are uh, honoring those uh, who have fallen The um, in preparation for Memorial Day. We wanted to just get you a spirit of, of the day, a spirit of Memorial Day. We've been talking and having a conversation with T. Herschel, a good friend of mine. And if you missed the last segment, it was absolutely heartbreaking. T. shared with me the pain he felt when a close friend was killed. And how or even if a soldier can say goodbye. In the moment, you don't. You just don't have a chance. There's just too much too much happening, too much going on. And people have often asked me, were you, were you afraid? And the answer that I can say is not because of any bravery on my part. I, I was never afraid when we were in a firefight. You had a job to do and you did it. You were busy. You, you just went about the tasks that had to be done and you did them. Leading up to it in anticipation, 
or thinking about it afterwards, yeah. there was plenty of time to be afraid, and I was a lot. Yeah. And in answer to your question, after the firefight was over, after we'd sent what was left of his body back, um, I had time to think about it. And again, it's been 44 years, but I believe I remember weeping, mm. uh, thinking about, about him, and, and even more than that, thinking about his bride that he'd married, I, I think, a week before he came, and, and he was gone now. And that, that was very heart-wrenching for me. Well, and as the show is airing on Memorial Day, I mean, it's, that's what it's about. Yeah. That's why, that's what it's about. Yeah. And we don't get it, do we? We, yeah. It's, we don't it's get what you've all been through. It's true. Powerful. Uh, a few years later, a few years ago, I, I went to uh, Washington to the Vietnam Wall, which was a, a profoundly moving experience for me. And, and I went and I looked up all of the guys that I knew that I had fought with, yeah. and many of whom had died in my arms. Yeah. And I took, I took uh, what do you call them? Like, oh, rubbings, like rubbings. Rubbings of their names. Yeah. And I've, I've got those in a scrapbook somewhere. But I, I, I specifically looked up Stephen. Was it, it seems like medic is a, a, it's like a chaplain almost. It's kind of an honorable, I mean, you're there at a very private, personal time. They're battling to live. And I mean, I'm sure you're just saving their lives. But to know that they're dying in your arms, what's yeah. that like? Um, what do you say? What do you do in that moment? You, you, I don't know. <laughs> just, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. You, you just you just hold them and treat them and and wipe their their brow off and, and wait for it for them to pass. Mm. Um, that's an honor. I, I I felt very honored to have that opportunity. You know, yeah. they, they they called me Doc. Uh, a lot of them didn't even know my name. <laughs> so You're I, just the redheaded and Doc, I, and I was glad because you know <laughs> I don't want people to call me Terry. Right, but. Uh, it turns out that I didn't need the weapon because, you know, if I wanted a moment of privacy too bad, I, I, I they wouldn't let me go anywhere without someone. Right, they're going to have to watch someone. me and take care of me. And, and I felt I felt honored by that. That's great. I was glad I had the opportunity to serve in that. Special thanks to uh, Terry Herschel. Uh, just a good friend and veteran. Highly decorated. I think uh, three... Um, actually, a, uh, a purple heart and two, I can't remember, bronze leaves. I don't remember. Highly decorated, uh, medals of honor, wonderful man. And if you notice, just a really, really powerful spirit. And so appreciate him. Hope you felt something as you listen to, to his stories about life and death and just why we need to be grateful this Memorial Day. Uh, we also want to go right now and, and do a tribute to the fallen soldiers by one of our producers, Bryce Tobin. The other day I was looking for some information on my old high school. Among the many items in a Google search, I saw an article about a fallen soldier. Curiosity as to why this came up in my search distracts me from my intended goal as usual. I come to find out that a soldier, Garrett Gamble, from my high school had been killed in Afghanistan. The really strange thing was that I knew him, not very well to be precise, we didn't have any classes together. We didn't have the same friends or anything that would really tie us together. Regardless, I still knew him, but I wasn't exactly sure what to feel or think about this information that hit closer to home than it usually does. It's Memorial Day, and all this got me thinking about how some of us are remembered. But these people, they have the words that I did not. You couldn't ask for a better son. He meant a lot to us all, and just we can't do enough for him. You know, it still doesn't feel like enough. <laughs> So hopefully he's looking down on us saying, you know, thanks, guys. 
my heart just breaks, just absolutely breaks for this family and for the community. They were gathered as one to bury someone's son. In a greater sense, we are their family because we have shared a common bond. Forty summers have passed since the battle that you fought here. You were young the day you took these cliffs. Some of you were hardly more than boys with the deepest joys of life before you. Yet you risked everything here. Why? Why did you do it? We look at you and somehow we know the answer. It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love. Appreciate that. Um just powerful powerful this is it's a powerful holiday isn't it that uh, it gives us a chance to think to remember and uh remember memorial day isn't just for the soldiers it's not just for those that have fought in our behalf it's for all those people that have passed our family our friends i think we're all going to be remembering people that matter most to us and um i've asked the producers from the afternoon show to kind of gather around and get their stories for what they're going to be doing, who they're going to be remembering, um, who they're going to be honoring and observing this holiday as they observe this holiday coming up. And we're going to bring them on one by one and just let them tell us each a story for somebody that matters to them and uh, and why this holiday might be important. We're going to start with our producer, Rob. Rob, you there, buddy? Yes, I am. What's who? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Who are you going to celebrate? Well, you know, one I, I hadn't thought of in a long time because a lot of my family's out of state. But um, I remember in elementary school, kindergarten, first grade, I had a friend, uh, Michelle. And, you know, I was quite the ladies' man back then. Of course then, you, know. you were. You still are, Rob. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> but uh, the but we were good friends. But, you know, the natures of schools and what yeah. have you, you know, even though we played every day at recess, she went off to one school. A lot of my friends went off and I went off someplace else. And then I think it was about uh, you know, fourth grade or something, I learned that she'd had an asthma attack and died. Mm. And I remember going to the funeral and not really, you know, quite understanding what was going on. And I still know, I think I can still picture exactly where her grave marker is at uh, in the cemetery where she's buried at. And I haven't even thought about it, but it would be interesting to go back on would, mem- to Memorial Day to go memorialize her. Neat. Gosh, that's I mean, it's so it's so subtle, isn't it? You go back and you just think, oh, I remember her. She died. I remember that was the big thing at every high school reunion. Oh, no way. She passed. We're going to go to Sheldon now. Sheldon, do you have somebody you're going to be thinking about? Uh, The person that comes to mind for me is my grandfather on on my dad's side. And he was actually a veteran in World War Two. And he fought. He was in the uh, Air Corps over the Pacific Islands. Oh wow, neat! And so uh, he, uh, I knew him when uh, I was a young child. Uh, he passed away when I was about twelve years old, I think. Yeah. So I do have some memories of him, uh, but you know, I never really had the opportunity to uh, hear many of his stories, and that's something that I wish I had the. Uh, had taken the opportunity to, to, know more about. to know more about. Yeah, that's powerful. In fact, one of the things I love about Memorial Day is gathering around with everybody at the cemetery and letting everybody tell their stories and hearing my grandparents tell their story or my grandmother tell the stories about my grandfather. Powerful time. Let's go to Thomas Brinton. Tom, you got a story for us? Yeah, I do, Matt. So every year we go to the uh, 
up in Brigham City where I'm from, we go to the cemetery with my grandma. This year we're taking her to Boulder, Colorado, where she grew up. Oh, neat. And so I, I hadn't thought about this, but this is great. Next Monday we'll be in Boulder with my grandma, and she can go see her parents' graves. Oh, wow. There in Boulder, and that'll be a really cool experience. So That's I'm great. excited. It's a family reunion fun That's trip. That's awesome. And so. you'll be able to hear the stories. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure to ask her. That's right. Remember, it's the storytelling that probably uh, is going to solidify all these memories. And we're going to wrap it up with Corinne Collins, our BBC reporter. Um, on these days, I always think about my good friend, Mary Grace. Um, we met in about 2004 at church, um, and... Uh, I was the only person in the ward that spoke French, um, and she had moved from Burundi to England, um, and her entire family was killed in the Civil War in Burundi. Um, So she'd left there and come to live in England, hoping to have a better life. Um, And in 2004, she um, got leukemia, and she died in 2006. Mm. Um, And that was after I'd come to move to America. And so I always think about her at this time because I try to live every day of my life as though I was living it for both of us. Oh, how neat. Now tell me what you did. What did you do? Um, a year after she died on the, on the anniversary, I shaved my head in her memory because I didn't have the courage to do it while she was alive. So oh. I did that to, um, yeah, really cement my memory of her and so that it's beautiful. You know, she can, we could have that experience together. Thank you. It's a big deal. Thanks for sharing it, all of you. That um, There's a spirit to it, isn't there? I think I'm just going to remember my grandparents, my, uh, my grandparents-in-law. Some of the greatest people I know have been my grandparents and grandparents-in-law. I'm going to remember a good friend, Paul Hatch, that died just tragically out playing with a bunch of young men as a youth leader. And um, I think I'm going to remember just the sad times I had a chance to go to a funeral of uh, somebody that uh, was in a church that I was um, kind of uh, the the leader over, a, a bishop over, a pastor over, and uh, they lost their cute little baby boy in a drowning at a local pond. And so I'm going to remember these people. The neat thing about death is it just, I think, makes us value life. And uh, I think it also brings us closer to a deeper uh, meaning of, of why we're here maybe and to remember that there is this great uh, God that's kind of watching over it all. Appreciate you all listening to the show. Again, our goal on the show is to help you through humanity. We want the show to be the handbook that can give you the tools, the, gui- the guides, the ideas you need to take this, um, this life uh, where you know you need to be taking it. Follow your promptings. If you want more information about us, you can uh, email us at mattchat at byu.edu. And if not... We're here Monday through Friday. Bring your friends and let's start getting healthy. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with...